It's St. Patrick's Day, right? And we live in Australia, and a lot of our listeners live overseas. And in the description of our podcast, we use a word, and <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Where, where does the word crack land with you? Even, even the word Bellarney and the word crack. As, as this date has been approaching, I've felt it as a bit of a weight. This is our first St. Patrick's Day doing this podcast. It is. Yeah, so... Um, so it's it's very apt that you should bring that up, and um, it was a very high risk strategy for us. I think we both sort of felt both using um, the Blarney word and using the crack word, they would, but they were both kind of um, so on old. old I don't know. It was kind of like sometimes you know, like there's certain there's certain words that that um, send a shiver up your spine <laughs> for good or bad reasons, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, before I started going to university, and I think before I became aware of the existence of Irish theme pubs, the word crack wasn't a problem for me. It was just like, that was great crack. So-and-so's great crack. It was brilliant crack. The crack was oh, you should have gone. It was brilliant. It was great crack. I can't believe you didn't go to Ballyshannon Folk Festival with Alex Campbell and Mel McNulty when you had the chance. It I actually heard that was crack. great crack. <laughs> so, so that was it. But then at some point, people started saying, it was a great crack. I heard lots of people saying it was a great crack. I mean, you were like, saying lots of people. This is you in Can- in, in sorry, America, in, in Seattle, yeah, yeah, in Seattle, and um, and and actually, I think in Scotland, you know, and yeah. and that, like the first time I'd seen it written down, I think the first time I'd seen it written down was was in an Irish theme pub in in Scotland that opened in Scotland. And you're like, remember, what's that word? Looking at it, I'm like, <laughs> so I, that's when I didn't. Crack. That's when I found it wasn't it wasn't spelt C R A C K. So yeah. anyway, so what? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's there. And we've been, I know recently we've been talking about how we describe the show when we're talking to other people. And it's a word which is still remains in our title. And it's St. Patrick's Day. So I'm like, you know what? It's time how is to it for it. you, the, the crack word? Crack doesn't overly bother me. I think I'm pretty warmed to it again because it feels natural. I think that's, it feels like a word that was used a lot when I was a kid. Like, as you said, it was great crack. So I kind of got a pass, and then I think you become super, super aware of that kind of stuff when you move away, and you kind of you're faced with it, and you kind of cringe. As you said, it's the it's the way it's delivered. Sometimes it's the a crack, or someone will ask you like, "Oh, what's cracking?" <laughs> what? That's not what the does word. That even mean? That's not all of that's wrong. None of that. And I think you kind of then you pull away from it, and then. I don't know, maybe spending time with you and more Irish people and going like, you know what? Maybe you just had so much crack with me that, that like it's just there's no way you can but, avoid that word. But it's funny, with Bellarney, we spoke about it at the start. I did have a a similar feeling around that word. And I kinda of thought, is it a little bit uh, plastic? I'm just kinda of, I, I was uneasy. And then you want you know what, it's fine. And I knew I was coming at this project as an outsider and that was part of it. And I think if anything, my Bellarney my relationship with the word Blarney is still not hasn't settled. I still don't know where I am. I see because for me, um, Blarney on its own would be a bit problematic. But just it's the name of a tune, and there was always something about. Um, uh, since we're kind of talking about origin stories, there was always something about seeing the Blarney Pilgrims written 
uh, on the Paul Brady Andy Irvine album, the purple one. Uh, and I, I always just remember seeing those words together and thinking, "Those are just that's a really interesting little coinage. What is that about?" Yeah. And um, and so I've always liked it, and I've always kind of wanted to have a project that had that as a title. And now now I do. So that's kind of why I, went I with always it, thought it would be like, it would be Pilgrim that would actually be the word that tipped me over the edge because it kind of has religious connotations, and I wouldn't be a religious man. Right. And that was unless you're of, talking about Ellen Pipes. Well, that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> Let me preach. <laughs> So that's it. Where, yeah. where are we at? We're, we're, we've got nowhere from this little chat, but I, I, I don't know. It, it's it's to be continued. Actually, yeah. the, the um, there's there's something interesting about about the Blarney Pilgrims, those three words together, and whatever that that sums up that doesn't have any relation to anything in reality. To me, it's just a, I don't know. It's some kind of notion. Um, we need a shamrock in our logo. That's what we're missing. You think so? Yeah. Well. Would we be a shamrock with like a with a hole like one of those giant ones with a hole in the middle where we stick our heads through and people take photographs? That's See, I'm actually you actually yeah. sold it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so right. anyway, today's interview. Today's interview is just so. This is a really um, uh, this is a really fun afternoon. We had a chance to speak to a lovely fiddle player, um, such an articulate player and such an interesting thinker about. The music and her name is Emma Lewis and she was recommended to us I think um, just after we had recorded our second episode of this podcast with Corinne Stranding and Corinne said you must talk to Emma Lewis and it's only taken us uh, a year to do it but here we are and that's today's episode and it's a real it's great crack it is all right and with the data in it let's do no admin at the start and let's just get into the interview what do you reckon yeah we'll catch up with you at the other end Enjoy. Thank you. 
Emma Lewis, welcome to the Balarney Pilgrims. Thanks so much for having me. So what did we just hear? Um, I just played three reels. I'm a bit of a reel girl. Um, I The first one I played was um, East Clare Reel. Um, I kind of wanted to play that one because one of the first people I was mostly playing tunes with when I started out, this is about six, seven years ago, playing Irish stuff. Um, his name's Danny, and whenever I think Danny, I think he's Claire Real. So this is, that one's for Danny um, in my head. Um, the second one um, is called Martin Wins Number Four. Bit of a, bit of a favourite of mine at the moment. Um, picked it up from a session over um, in Dublin from a good friend, um, Marin Banks and her couple of, couple of mates of hers. Damien and Barry play a session called The Hairy Lemon on Monday nights, um, which is, missed that session a lot. So kind of, yeah, I wanted to play something for them. And the last one is called The Liffey Banks. Um, So Liffey from Dublin, obviously. Um, And that tune for me is a very much like from the Poet Lads. That's like a tune that picked up from a recording of the guys who play at The Drunken Poet on Friday nights. So yeah, I kind of wanted to, I'm, I'm, it's kind of hard to know whether you're going to what you're going to play. I don't really do much recording. So for me, I kind of wanted to do stuff that made me feel like I was playing with people or, you know, it's very much associated with the people that I play with. It's not, I don't see it as my music. I see it as mine with them, you know, in different that's, contexts. That's, that's, a, that's a lovely thought because that, that's one of the kernels of that behind this project was the idea of how tunes link you to people and particularly people um from your past yeah and also that when you play tunes now like we were talking about when we play tunes for our kids that hopefully they carry them into the future so there's this kind of past and future thing going on yeah. <laughs> with the music of people. so that's a that's a lovely thought yeah, uh, yeah 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 i mean like to play by yourself is a scary enough thing anyway I. I don't i haven't really done any recordings or anything so um i kind of yeah i wanted to do something that linked in with people and sessions sessions of people you know, Irish music is people. It's it's not just the music. So yeah. that's definitely a, a reoccurring thing that we've we've touched on because it, the music is it's very easy to say it's all about the music. It's all about the music. Yeah. When really, oh, I don't know, it's becoming more and more apparent that it's the people that are playing the music are is yeah. such a huge role in it. Probably more than fifty percent from for me anyway. That's what it's becoming. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who just get involved with the music just listen to the music of no interest but I think as soon as you have an aspiration to pick up an instrument it becomes about the people yeah totally I think particularly before you find your own path with it too mm. like I think for me getting into it like that first tune I played um reminds me of, of a man called Danny White and like when I first part started playing music I played music with him and some his sister and a couple of other friends and started playing some Irish stuff and had been to a few folk festivals and wanted to kind of yeah play this new form of music for us which was Irish music and um yeah I it has such a strong association with me with with him and we still play together we're really good mates um so yeah like you can't I don't know you can't pick apart tunes from people particularly yeah when you're starting off like you kind of you get into it with a friend and I I think not many young people would just get into it by themselves it becomes a kind of social social venture at least for me anyway uh, it probably with because of the, the kind of session or jam culture behind it you end up playing with people i know on my learning curve with, with playing banjo you, you're playing on your own playing on your own is mm. fine but you've no 
you've no idea how well you're going or how poorly you're going. You've no <laughs> idea about your timing, really, because it's pretty easy to be lazy and turn off the metronome. But I, I think, and I think, and I think it happens to other people. When you start playing with other people, is when you go through your first huge learning curve in in playing and you actually start to understand that it's more than just what you're bringing to it it's about listening and responding which you don't get yeah. any of that on your own no absolutely it's kind of actually that that conjures up a memory for me when i when i first went to uni and um i'd write a i'd write a paper about something and and my mum my mum's an academic and um she went to edit it and she was like um emma it's just good to uh to reference other people it's just good to realize that you're not the first person to come up with these ideas and it was a very um brilliant learning curve for me um and i see tunes in a very similar way like you kind of you playing with other people and listening to them and 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 there's a form of respect, particularly when you're starting out, that you need to kind of bring to the table to understand that, like, not only are the people you're playing with, they've done this before and this is not their first rodeo, um, but also there's just, like, what, thousands of years of history behind the music. Um, and so that's that's why it becomes, I suppose, a bit intimidating and what can I bring to it when you've got that kind of, you know, history. But, again, it's the connection to people and... Um, yeah, playing music and to share something with other people. Um, absolutely. So, so where were you when this was... Where did you first encounter Irish music, I guess, then? Um, I suppose my first encounter with it was actually long before I started playing with it. Um, I, as a little kid, um, some family friends um, got my parents to take me to um, a couple of festivals called uh, Roses Gap and Taramara. They're kind of workshop festivals, um, very family-friendly aimed at um kind of younger younger kids particularly um but yeah there's some really great stuff in there for any age group um and it's just a community gathering really of right. music and different types of music um and i remember one year i would have been and this is in victoria quite young yeah this yeah. is in victoria so uh rose's gap is um in uh near like halls gap yeah um up in the up in the mountains um and taramara is near lawn kind of um and yeah one year i would i would have been quite young actually (laughs) i would have been like nine or something um trouble in the kitchen did all the the tutoring one year and there's not usually you know there's some irish music in in these festivals but not um not usually as as its core component it's not it's not just focused on that um so yeah this one year um i was in a a workshop with Ado Barker and that was my first exposure to Irish music and I really liked it. Um, I'd kind of been exposed to it a bit through some family friends, but that was kind of my first, like, oh, they, some people just focus on that only, you know. Right. Um, and you were already playing. I I wasn't really playing much fiddle, um, to be fair. I had started piano when I was younger right. um, and I really wanted to learn fiddle, but um, it was a kind of, I think, some advice given to my folks about learning a um, kind of a set structured uh, diatonic, you know, tonal instrument um, before starting something that has such, such multifaceted tones like the fiddle. Um, so that I'd, I'd, I'd already been starting piano. I, did, I think I'd done a little bit of fiddle, but only just in a kind of family friendly context with the community. And, and how, how was that uh, piano experience for you? Like, were you, did it, even at that young age, did you, did you have a knack for it? Did you feel like, okay, this makes sense to me? Or um, I I've always I always enjoyed it, and I still do. Sometimes I'll kind of noodle around on it, um, just for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, I did really enjoy it. I think just because I was really keen on the fiddle, I felt a bit 
this is, this is no diss on my parents because they were just doing, you know, the best thing for me. But, um, yeah, I felt a bit held back. I kind of wanted to play fiddle. And then ironically, I got to the fiddle um, when I was when I started learning it around early teens. And um, and I just didn't practice. And I just didn't, yeah. <laughs> so and was <laughs> the piano classic thing of like, I really want to do this thing and then just didn't really engage yeah. with it properly so <laughs> so was the piano thing too was it too formal or was it was it um, more like what no, was it about did, it that was not I did really love it um it was very classical um oh, okay. classically focused I did a bit of Yamaha but um mostly like Amy B grades and and these sorts of things they're our kind of grading um um structure that we have in Australia Australian Music Examination Board or something yeah and yeah I kind of didn't really like the structure of it it's very solo venture um, I was a little bit of a social young thing. I liked people. So, um, yeah, I kind of felt, I, I don't know. I just didn't find my jam with it. I didn't find my jam with, with the fiddle till very late till I was late teens, um, early twenties really. Were you, so. were you aware of that, um, the need to play with other people at the time or was it just, or was that just one of the many things that were all lumped together or were you would you have at that age said I need to play with other people yeah I was actually through these family friends that um, got us into these festivals I was very lucky there was a group of younger people who were playing as well and we would you know do do lots of singing as well um, we'd do lots of um, you know messing around on pl- piano and playing you know Finn Brothers tunes and playing Beatles and just like having a bit of a having a bit of a laugh with it um, there was a really nice community um, that my my parents had with with some other families, um, but yeah, the, not really. Like I always loved it. I always found it very fun. Um, but I think there's a there's a point at which there's music that's around you and that you engage with, and then there's a point at which there's something that, at least for me with Irish stuff, it was just something that I just latched onto. It was me. It was just something that I fully identified with as my own person, um, and not just something that was happening around me that I was having fun with it was something I wanted to follow up on and pursue and kind of dig deeper really it's it's probably hard to put your finger in this but but what was it about it that was um was it melodic or was it yeah um it is so hard to put your finger on it I think for me it um it had a richness in culture, which, um, you know, other, other traditional music does as well. Um, I suppose it had a nuance to it that I didn't, I, I, I couldn't identify as much in something like Scottish music. Um, that's, there's no diss on Scottish no. music at all. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Um, I think for me, I found Irish music almost like more structured in the sense that like you could, you could see, um, patterns and and tunes and things like that but less structured than Scottish music in the sense that it wasn't as much arpeggio based and it wasn't these were just my understandings Mm -hmm. of it this is not no nowhere near you know gospel truth or anything it was just my kind of inclination towards Irish stuff and the Irish culture of of playing particularly in Australia at the time um, was very much like small groups kind of sitting in the corner not really making a fuss having a quiet tune it wasn't really a, a showy showbiz kind of way of way of seeing music um and I really got drawn to that just this idea that you kind of just sit down and play some tunes with people and there was also a, a progression to go through I think for me like um you know putting little tune tune knowledge in your belt like a little notch in your belt each time you learn a new tune you know that felt really 
that felt really good as well. You could see some form of progression, even if you couldn't see it in your technique or if you couldn't see it in other kind of elements of your playing. Um, there was a small kind of way of seeing yourself moving forward. Um, although very, I'm contradicting myself, but it, it is quite intimidating when you start out because there's thousands, there's literally thousands. Of, I think if you go on the session.org, I think Cameron, Cameron, my partner and myself, we once went on the session.org and we clicked number one tune and then we went back and there was number like 14,678 and we were like oh damn it that's the one I started with yeah Yeah, never gonna get there so um yeah there was there was a sense of um room to move room to play room to be involved in something with other people um that really drew me to it I suppose Mm. So then after that weekend with Ado Barker, over a week with the festival where you had the... Yeah. Um, did you end up getting plugged into the Irish music scene in Melbourne after that or kind of have a, a notion that there were sessions happening around? Not really, to be honest. Um, I think I just had that one kind of experience and I was like, oh, this music's kind of cool. But I didn't really um, kind of have much engagement with it um, until a bit further down the line. Um, I went to folk festival like the national folk festival my favorite festival um over yeah different different years and and kind of just went for the crack really to hang out with my mates and to have a good time um and then much later on um and i think this is this is not to kind of ameliorate them too much but um i think a lot of other people my age feel the same that um kind of yeah trouble in the kitchen were a band that were playing um you know traditional stuff um but in a really funky kind of cool way and yeah they seemed like great people and they had really good social justice morals and they had a lot that I kind of really um, and they have associated fun. with. There's a lot of, um, I haven't seen them once. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, they have fun. Like, yeah. They're, just, they're having the crack as well. Like. <laughs> so for the uninitiated, would either of you like to say who, who are in, who, who is Trouble in the Kitchen and um, where are they from? What have they done? Yeah, right. So uh, kind of from, from mostly from Canberra, but all over um, all over Australia, really. Um, Ado Barker, um, fiddle player. Kate Burke, um, amazing guitarist. Constantina player, fiddle player. I think she plays everything. Um, she's pretty impressive. <laughs> um, ben o, Ben Stevenson, he baron and, and flute mostly, and um, Joe Ferguson, who's the bazooki player. Um, so yeah, great bunch of people. So they're all they were a young band when they were well and they still are and they're still fairly young but they were pretty young when they started to really make a a, a dent in the in the scene yeah was that that must have had some kind of appeal too that it was a fresh take on a traditional sound totally i think like um younger people playing that music it, it goes back to and i suppose we'll touch on this with with like with gender and some stuff later on but um i suppose it for me was like the more that you see something in common with someone, the more that you can see yourself in their position or you can see yourself doing what they're doing, not necessarily performing, but playing that music. Um, and I think, yeah, being younger and having a fresh take on it was really important. Um, but, you know, I I don't want to put, put too much weight on on, on them and um, make them feel pressure because um, there was lots of other music yeah, going on say, at the time and sessions in the – yeah, there's loads of sessions in the in the session bar, particularly around the Nash, and that was kind of my exposure to it at least. Do you remember who else was um, was, was around then? Uh, there was always acts over from, from Ireland and, and places around. None, none I can kind of yeah. name specifically, but um, there was always really great music around at those festivals. Um, but, yeah, it took me a while to kind of 
not just enjoy the music, but to then go, oh, I could probably, maybe I could do this, you know, maybe I could try this, see how we go. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you reckon we could have another tune? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll play a few from, um, what should I play? I'll play a few jigs, actually. Um, there's the, f- the first jig I'll play. Um, I'm going to do all these in relation to people. This is going to be terrible, but not, not necessarily the history behind <laughs> all these tunes, but um, my, my history with them with, with certain people. Um, and so the first one's called Dwyer's Jig, which I associate, um, learnt over in Dublin, but I really associate with um, Afric Boylan and Kieran O'Grady. They're just um, a bunch of awesome additions to the Melbourne scene. Um, lovely people. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of one I really... Whenever I play this tune, I think of this tune, I think of them. Um, I might play O'Sullivan's March as well, which is a jig, contrary to its name. Um, that tune I picked up from the playing of um, Libby and Richard Conrick, um, the late Richard Conrick, who passed away a couple of years back now, um, and their son Jack Conrick, who's a good mate of ours. So um, they're kind of Canberra. Right, Canberra folk. They kind of have a lot of connection to like Paddy Canny and some people over from Ireland as well. So um, this tune kind of picked up from them. And the last one I'll play is off an album um, that I'm in love with at the moment um, from these lads from Waterford. The the band's called Newarden. They're just wonderful people and wonderful players. So um, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. 
fantastic. Thank you so much. No worries. So when we left off there, you were, it was a good segue, you were thinking, I might try this for myself. So what was the path from there? Um, Kind of, yeah, just started learning some tunes. I think the way most people kind of get into it, you've, you listen to some albums and you try and learn a couple of tunes, um, whether they're from an album or from the dots. Um, we kind of, different people have different ways of approaching it. Um, I definitely warmed much more to picking something up by ear. That was kind of the way that I'd, I, I'd kind of not really done well in the classical stream of, of, you know, reading from music. I still, I still, you know, I still think there's a, a really key, um, place for note note music um but particularly in like documenting um really really old tunes that you maybe wouldn't have got a recording from um because you know recording devices didn't get invented until much after the music was being played um but I think yeah for me it was listening to something by ear and trying to replicate it whether it was taking a recording from a session or learning from an album um slowing it down with some little computer technology and figuring it out note note by note <laughs> did you have a, a teacher or a mentor or someone that you had you could latch on to at that stage I had a um up until my kind of mid-teens I had a um a violin teacher who was very open to me doing different types of music um but I kind of didn't really find Irish stuff in that in that vein with her it was more through festivals um so I'd learn a bit of technique kind of much more classically based um but yeah found like you had to undo quite a bit of that technique when you're playing Irish stuff yeah so it's a bit of a learning curve how so what what kind of things um I mean it's that it's that interesting thing where you can if if you hear someone play and they've just started playing tunes from a, a classical background um there's something in their playing you can hear you're like oh they're that they they usually play classical like um and there's no there's no diss on that i suppose I'd love um, to know what that is but it, it's just a much more of a structured way of playing i think it's a much more kind of um straight down the line like um set way of playing there's not a lot of ornamentation there's not a lot of those rolls and and um cuts and yeah, those sorts okay. of things that that really define irish music um and also yeah you kind of if if you hear a player like somebody who's, you know, they've grown up in this, they're say from Ireland and they live in this culture and that's there every day. There's there's something more in that than mm. somebody who's just come to it who might be technically very brilliant in terms of classical technique, but um, yeah, might just miss some of the nuances in the Irish stuff. So there's a bit of unlearning, I suppose you could say, and relearning at least for me anyway. So that how, what what was the um, the crossover? How long did that go for when you were doing the classical and the... Um, uh, I suppose it's always a bit bit there. Um, but I presume you, you, you yeah. left your teacher. At some yeah, I stopped, doing, I stopped doing lessons um, as a mid, mid, mid-teens um, kind of age um, and didn't play for a while, to be honest. I wasn't, okay. I wasn't playing music, um, kind of just was doing my own thing or playing with, playing with some friends, but not... Um, it wasn't a weekly thing or a daily thing by any means. Um, and yeah, with this, with Danny and his sister and a couple of friends um, started playing some Irish stuff. And I remember Danny and I would sit down at a computer and we'd, we'd looked up some Lunas album or something and we'd get this tune and we'd try and unpack it and we'd both be there together and he, he plays flute. Um, and we'd just be kind of trying to un- unravel what this 
this tune was and there was all these there's all that like you know at the time you know you'd be listening to a role you're like what the hell are they doing you know (laughs) it's very different um and yeah kind of trying to trying to figure out what's going on isn't that funny when uh, um i've always found that that there are certain chunks of tunes that you can i find i can latch on to really easily and then there are these connective tissue parts which are (laughs) which are like the hinges of the tune which are a lot more tricky and intricate to um to to figure out that's what i've always found you know it's just um but but doing it that way does um force you to really um sort of dive in and and prize the whole thing apart yeah you know it's absolutely it's really interesting i think mysterious and and, yeah and then you're putting it back together again yeah trying to recreate it and 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 being conscious of you adding your own voice into something that has been played a lot (laughs) um the other interesting part the other interesting part of it is you had a partner in crime so you you're you're playing with danny which brings a different um drive to it because it's a thing based on companionship and as a, yeah, a sharing constantly there. So, yeah. So how, how, when did you meet Danny? Um, I met him through, oh gosh, it's a um, friend of a friend of a friend kind of story, but yeah, through family friends. Um, and yeah, when, when we started playing together, we were very fortunate that we met um, these, um, the bunch of the, the crew from Tolka, that um, album. So my partner, Cameron, that's how... <laughs> We formed a relationship quite quickly through. Tolka, just quickly, because uh, a lot of people so, might not know. Who yeah, are. of course. So um, Tolka is Cameron Hibbs, Hilary Glacier, Robert Hillman and Alan Evans um, and myself and Danny um, and a few other friends um, kind of started playing tunes with them. We met them at a folk festival back in, oh gosh, this is 2013, um, where Cam and I met. So we, like our two groups kind of met each other and we started playing out and, and playing music. Um, and it was kind of, it was often me and the lads, you know, it was like Danny and, and Cam and Alan and Rob and, um, and myself and we'd have little house sessions and little parties and, and the wider group would come to, to different things or, or not. Or, um, and yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was good fun. It was really nice to have a social network to play music with, I think particularly when you're a bit nervous about it and um, you can see how competent other people are to have kind of like a bit of camaraderie. Um, and some people to kind of look up to a bit as well. I think at that point, Cam and Alan particularly had been playing loads of tunes um, and were very, um, yeah, they had a, a, like a lot more tunes than Danny and I had. And um, it was nice to kind of have their knowledge base as something to kind of draw from a bit as well. Yeah. So, and when you and Danny were picking tunes out of CDs and, and records and stuff, was his musical background similar to yours where he had a bit of a, a theory theory background yeah, or classical background? Yeah, yeah, classical. He played played tra- classical trumpet as well. Um, and his sister, Awa, is a phenomenal classical flute player as well. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of kind of classical music going on, I think, That's in it. his background as well. So, it's yeah, it's a, it's it takes a bit of, to kind of cross over that. Um, but, yeah, once we kind of started playing with those guys, it really kind of took off from there and then... Cam and I formed a relationship and our music kind of my musical journey is very much alongside my partners now which is really cool we were very fortunate that we both I think once you dive deeper into it too you both kind of like we were very fortunate that we both kind of liked the same type of Irish music and that kind of sounds funny because Irish music is you'd you'd think from the outside that it's kind of one thing but there's so many different ways of thinking about it and playing music um, within that genre and I think we both kind of very much warmed to a much more of a um, 
yeah, a relaxed, easygoing style. Um, and um, yeah, what, sort of the similar converse way. of that relaxed, easygoing style. So the, you've got the relaxed, easy. What's the? I I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to to specify it as just that though, because um, you know, you come three a.m. and you have a couple pints and you just want to rip out a tune. So there's so there's, <laughs> there's, so there's many different ways yeah. of playing, but you can play the same tune. In so many different ways. You can sit back with it. You can rest on notes. You can really, um, for me anyway, I find like you can express it in such different ways or you can just smash the thing out. You can just grab your bow and you can just go health forever. And that's really fun as well. Right. So, um, but I suppose, yeah, like in terms of what I enjoy listening to, it's probably more of a, um, yeah, that kind of, I, I don't know how to put it, I'm easy going maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of. Then just on the timeline, because I, I think it was probably we've probably skipped over a whole lot. I'm feeling yeah. in that section, right? So history's funny like that. I'm uh, I'm thinking yourself and Danny are pulling tunes off CDs. You're starting to kind of feel your way around and under, get a deeper understanding of what's yeah. going on here. So you you're playing together, and then you that's when you go to Canberra yeah. and start finding yep. other, others in that. Well, playing playing Irish tunes. Yeah, we had this great little community of people um, playing together. Um, there was, yeah, it was, I do, I do. And this is where the gendered stuff comes into it too. Like it was me and the lads, like that's kind of the way that it kind of came about. Yeah. Yeah, Um, so it was me and, um, me and Cam and Ellen and and Rob and Danny. And we just had a really, really great time together. It was just really fun. Um, but yeah, some, some other women darting in and out of that, um, scene, I suppose you could say, and, and that group. Um, but in terms of the, you know, always at the, always at the house party, always at the this, always at the that, it was, it was those guys, um, no discredit to, to anyone else. So then can you, can you paint a picture for us of what Melbourne was like then? So how many sessions were going on? Where um, were you gravitating towards? To be honest, I didn't really know. Um, I, it's kind of funny. Like I didn't, didn't really know about Koroit Festival, for example. Um, I didn't really know about the tune, um, you know, the tune that happens every Friday night, the poet that's been going on for what, 12 years or something now. Um, I didn't know about, um, I, I got introduced to the, the tunes at the Corkman, um, the Corkman that got knocked down. Um, very unfortunately, um, got introduced to that kind of tune through Cameron and Alan and, um, went to that, uh, kind of missed out on the, um, the Dan O'Connell session. I was a bit too late to kind of, by the time I heard about sessions and it's going to things that one, um, wasn't running anymore um and there was a quiet sunday tune at the jar i remember that um a few of those folks there played um so a few of the poet folks with some with some additions um played a nice quiet tune at the jar but i didn't really know about it and you don't want to i was very conscious of the fact that i was very new to it so even if you do kind of start to hear about these things you know these are players that you see as very different to yourself as, as, as much more competent. Um, and you don't kind of want to go barging into their space. And, um, if, if I ever went to a session like that, it was very much in a, I'm going to sit in the corner and listen kind of capacity. It wasn't to participate, you know? Um, it sounds like you had a good network of, of friends and, and yeah. people to, 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 well, to experiment and to have fun with anyway, you really to go to a session wasn't necessary. Where yeah. it might be to, for the single player. Totally, exactly. Yeah, I was I was quite fortunate in that way. Um, but in another aspect, like this is this is my early twenties, so I feel like there's there were years there where I was interested in the music that I kind of didn't 
do much with it or get exposed to it. And that's completely my own um, fault. But I think you kind of, you know, you're a teenager, you get caught up in this, that and the other. Um, You go overseas, you do stuff, you kind of milling about, having a few too many pints. Um, So, yeah, I think in, in that way, I was very lucky, but I also didn't kind of find out about it till a bit later on, I suppose. And was it a very male scene? Um, it was and it still is. Like, um, I think there's only one woman in Melbourne who runs a session. Um, all the rest are run by men. Who's that? Um, uh, Shauna. I I wouldn't know her last name. Oh, she yeah. she does the um the Friday night session at the Brothers Public House. Um, yeah, it's like and, and totally correct me if I'm wrong. There are only women out there who run sessions in Melbourne I stand corrected but um yeah it's it is a male dominated scene I think um I'm not the only one who (laughs) there's other women out there as well who who I've spoken to about this and um probably 80 to 90 percent of the sessions that I've ever played in have either been only with men or majority men um there is rarely a moment where you outnumber the men as women and so I think from that aspect, it is it is quite gendered in the sense that I think I see it in kind of two separate ways um, in the way that I interact with it. I see it as um, there's the way you see yourself as being quite gendered and there's a way that other people see you as being gendered. And I think for me, um, the way you see yourself, I think women are much more likely to go, oh, that was terrible. Oh, that was crap or take a negative comment as just the absolute truth as gospel, you know. Whereas I think um, there is something, and I'm generalising. I think for the point of of understanding um, of understanding different um, inequality, I think you do need to generalise at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I I do see that some some men, most men, are more capable of just going, oh well, I stuff that up, but it's okay, it's fine, you know, I'll try again. Um, so I think that there's an element of the way that you that you see yourself in your own playing as being as being quite gendered and as being quite fragile in terms of the way that you interact with it. You're very aware of even just someone else's eye roll or I think women are so socialised to understand, you know, other people's body language. Um, and so you see what's going on around you and, and if somebody's not listening to you playing or not interacting with you playing, I think you can take it the wrong way um, and be a bit disheartened by that. Um, and the other element of it for me is definitely the way other people see you. So whether that's as a performer on stage and you have to either be like the glam girl or the girl that, you know, girl, woman, I should say, um, you either have kind of have to be dressed up to the nines or you're kind of, you're, I hate to use the word, but a sex object, or you kind of don't care about your appearance or you're kind of like a boss kind of, you know, boss lady kind of way of, of seeing it. So there's people, people see you as different ways as a performer, but also, um, I think that there's just an element of just the way other people see you in terms of if a man as a punter in a bar comes into a session, they, you know, watching from the sidelines and they are going to approach somebody and talk to them in the session, it's most likely going to be the woman. Um, And in that case, it has been me on numerous occasions where someone's like, hey, love, what's going on? You know, or even groping you or touching you or saying inappropriate things or harassing you I think it does happen so there's there's elements of it being gendered I think you need to yeah I think it's really important to understand that women have a hard time of it sometimes with music it's not not all this is no no diss obviously on all the fantastic men that we have in the scene this is not representative of them and their views 
um, I think particularly in Melbourne, you do. I really feel like the men here um, understand that inequality and, and attempt to address it um, in different ways. But yeah, it, it's often the outsider. Yeah, so so how, I, I wanted to kind of touch on that a bit more about the leading of the sessions. Mm. Right? How significant is that, that you have these sessions around the city? Significant in terms well, of men running that, it, that there that there are many amazing female musicians who are not being asked to lead sessions. Yeah, um, I think it's a shame. Totally, I think also you know there's sessions that have been running for a really long time. Um, I think that's important to acknowledge. Um, it's not just that the men have been picked out of the lineup. It's that, it. that, that you know some of these these have been going for a while, and some men who've been involved in in trad music and the scene um, much longer than I have. So. Um, all respect to them um, but yeah it is it, it, it just means that um, it does shift the culture I suppose you could say um, I think um, if there's if there were more women leading sessions I think to start with um, when I when I was starting out I think I would have found it easier to kind of feel comfortable and to to fit into that space um, to see a woman leading that and be going, oh, maybe one day I could lead a session. You know, the, the more points of difference you have between somebody who you admire and yourself, the harder it is to see yourself there. Um, so, yeah, even if it's a very kind, very caring, um, you know, social justice advocate male, you've, you know, there's still a point of difference there in terms of the way you see yourself. And this is me talking as a woman who sees myself as a, you know, I see myself as a cis woman she her they're the pronouns I use and so I'm not trying to create a gender binary by any means but um yeah I it's it's harder to see yourself um as being able to do that I suppose yeah I know we're going to get onto your time in in Ireland but just staying on this for a second do, do was Ireland any way more progressive or is Australia like what what was your feeling if you were to compare the two with where, where we're at with making progress? Um, I don't want to speak to the culture in general. Um, I still think that there is some sexism definitely that goes on over there in terms of the way um, performance and sessions and, and certain people interact and operate. Um, no denying that. Um, but in terms of speaking to my own experience, like um, I was playing with many, many more women over there um, which was very cool. And I think that was just situational. I think that was just who I ended up, you know, mm-hmm. being friends with and who Cameron, so myself and Cameron went over to Ireland together, um, my partner, and we, yeah, we ended up in, in loads of sessions with women and like kick-ass players, like just awesome. <laughs> and people who just wouldn't see themselves as anything special and who were just fantastic. So, mm. yeah, I, I, I felt very fortunate in that sense as a woman to see these other women just doing it and and it's not like we i don't have women role models here in melbourne there are there are many fantastic players here um but yeah to to be surrounded by just that pure fact of being surrounded by more women and women leading sessions all the time and and women doing this and that and the other um it was um yeah really empowering really cool it's good to see i think i suppose there's two sides to it but uh, a recent interview we had with Catherine mcavoy and one of the things we'd mentioned because we, we were talking about you know, gender and, and then we kind of moved on and she said at the moment in Ireland that one thing that she that might be creeping in is a bit of ageism and I suppose showing mm. a bit of my own prejudice I presume that was the older set not welcoming the younger 
but it was the the opposite where it, there is so much it's so popular and going at such a huge rate that yeah. the older generation of not feeling as welcome to play anymore which is for me i don't know that felt like a, a, flip, a fundamental flip in where it definitely i thought the the culture was at yeah um because in australia I, I had said in that interview too that I, I do think it's still very much a uh, middle age and up it is the biggest bracket like middle-aged white men take up the vast majority of what's <laughs> going on then the rest is kind of spread there seems to be a a a, a newer a newer lease on a newer there seems to be a newer what the hell is the word there's a there's a hunger from a, a newer generation and i suppose you're at the, at the top of that and there seems to be a lot totally. of younger people coming through too yeah it's fantastic it's really really cool to see younger people coming through um i think going back to that ageism thing i think it's just such a shame that um that that sort of stuff happens just because i think there's so much you can learn from those players like Catherine mcavoy is fantastic like she's just amazing um and one of the sweetest women as well and I think there's so much you can learn from people's music and their experience. Um, and I think that's where the kind of respect element comes into it. If you're often, if I'm playing with somebody who's older and, and not just necessarily older, just has more experience with the music, mm. um, there's an element of you, you should respect where they're coming from because they've, you know, they've been doing this before. <laughs> this isn't, mm. this isn't the first time. So I think, yeah, for me, there's often I am quite aware of not necessarily age. I don't actually often see age um, in that way. Like I don't see age as, as being a barrier or um, changing my interaction with somebody. Um, I don't often see it <laughs> to see the person. But um, yeah, I think you, I am quite conscious of somebody else's experience with particularly with Irish music and um yeah, just understanding that I could definitely learn something from them um, and maybe vice versa, but, you know, being conscious of the fact that I'm not just going to swan in and be like, hey, what's up? Watch me play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, on that note, <laughs> can we have a chance? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, again, yeah. <laughs> cool. Let's do it. Um, okay. Well, um Cool. I'm going to play some tunes I learned from some kick-ass women over in Dublin. Um, so, yeah, very briefly, my partner and I went over there and spent a year um, living over there, which was just a fantastic experience. I have feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to do that. Um, and, and with him, because we had lots of fun together. So the first tune I'm going to play is uh, called The Old Wooden Bridge. Um from the playing of Deirdre Hurley and Jackie Martin at the at the Cobblestones, great uh, Thursday night session that they run there. Um, was it in, in Dublin? This is over in Dublin. So when my partner and I went over for a year um, and had a year living over there, which was just really great. Um, definitely feel very privileged to have to have had that time over there. Um, and the second tune I'll play is called "The Road to Ballymoat." Um, which is a, I think it's an old Sligo tune, but Ballymote is in Sligo anyway. Um, that I got off the playing of Deirdre Hurley. She's, um, she's, yeah, this tune is just so synonymous with her in my head for some reason. And with Cleaner, with Cleaner O'Rourke as well. She, the, the two of them, this this tune really rings strong for me um, in, in relation to them. And the last tune I'll play uh, called The Mayo Lasses has a, a funny little story attached to it. I might tell you after. All right. Cool. 
Fantastic set of tunes. Thanks. Now, I want to ask you, so um, one of the, the funny things that people remark on when we're doing this is is playing by themselves. Is, is such yeah. A, <laughs> it's such a sort of, uh, almost like you're, 
taking something out of it. It's like taking a wild animal and putting it in a petting zoo. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so like, it's intimidating to play by yourself. He's so used to playing with other people. So, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so what was that like for you when you were playing? I say? mean, because I, I, I don't do... Um, I don't do much like performance or, um, you know, albums or anything, you know, so um, playing in front of a mic is pretty new for me. So as an off, it's like a little bit uncomfortable just because it's so new. Mm. But it's also, yeah, playing by yourself. It's so it's so unusual, I suppose, when you're usually playing by yourself, you're practicing or you're learning a tune or um, I don't really do much practice. I mostly just learn tunes. Um, But I think I think you practice through learning tunes. I think, you know, in a certain tune, you'd have a role or this or that um, that you kind of. That, that has prominence in the tune and that makes you practice that that mm-hmm. thing um at least for me anyway um maybe i should do more actual practice uh i just yeah i just love sitting down and learning a tune but to actually just play by yourself um is a bit rarer sometimes sometimes you just have the urge to just sit down and play a few tunes um but yeah often it's in it's in a space of learning i think particularly at the moment for cameron and myself so like coming back from ireland and having um yeah, having all that energy from that time over there, I feel like we're only just starting to fully process most of it. You know, it's so much input for an entire year. And then right, to have well, that output and to kind of have something coming from that. Let's is, go back to the, to the start of that year. So what what was the process? How did it come about that you went? Yeah, cool. Um, I think it was, to start off with, like, it was just good timing for both of us. So we, um, we both didn't have a full-time job commitment we both didn't have you know no one in our family was sick it was just it was just good timing um we were between things I'd just finished up at uni um so yeah we we headed over for a year and we'd both uh, Cameron, Cameron will correct me if I'm wrong but yeah we both really wanted to do this I think even before we met each other um to one day go and 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 experience the music over there probably didn't have the, the exact idea of living over there for a year but um cam and i just you know in our chats and you know you have a dinner you go out for dinner you have a glass of wine you have a bottle of wine then you're like we should go to ireland (laughs) so we kind of uh, over the over the course of um a little while we just were like no we just need it we just need to do this and so packed up and and left you kind of put away your life here for a year which is a very weird thing to do um but then you experience a whole new one over there um and we were extremely lucky, actually. Um, I see our whole time as being shaped by this wonderful group of people that we met through. So there was kind of, there was three women that were kind of our in to the scene over there, which was uh, Maraid Hurley, Maroon Banks and Aoife Kelly. And the three of them introduced us to a plethora of people, just like an insanely huge number of people, particularly over the, the, festival, um, the festival scene. So we arrived in April. Um, did we arrive in April? May, maybe. And we, yeah, so the first couple of months were just traveling around, going to all the festivals. And um, what year was this? So that we came back in, uh, we came back in April last year. So, right. so um, 2017. Yeah, 2018. Uh, 2018. Sorry. Yeah, yep. 2018. Yeah. Um, so, and so Maraid introduced us to her sister, Deirdre. And Deirdre introduced us to her friends. Um, Cleaner Rock, Jackie Martin, um, Kotsika, Holmiho, Katrina. There's a bunch of them, just like these wonderful group of people. And I see our whole year as being completely shaped by their generosity to us. Um, and, and the object of going was to to immerse yourself in the music. Yeah. So it was a it was a year for 
interestingly, we we found a lot more over there than we than we were expecting. So we were kind of just going for the music. We were going for a year of music. Um, and we found these weird like career opportunities and like we found all this other stuff that wasn't really expected. And um, you you do you you leave behind a bunch of great people who you feel very comfortable and and happy with here and who you're you're very privileged to know. And you kind of go, will I make friends not just friends but will I make people I'll know for the rest of my life it's a it's a it was a deep concern I think of mine heading over there is will will there be community will there be people that I really kind of click with um and we were really lucky that we fell in with a great bunch of people so was there a bit of pressure thinking will I have as good an experience as some of the people that have gone before you yeah um I suppose Yes and no. Um, I I think we both we were both very um, for some reason we both didn't have much expectation of what it was going to be like, um, which was probably good and bad. I don't know. I think it, it meant that we were kind of open to whatever came our way. Um, what were you aiming for when you were setting off? What was the kind of like the first? What did you think the first few weeks would be like? Were going to be? Um, so we booked a little Airbnb around the corner from the cobblestone. So our kind of our first port of call was we'd heard that cobblestone in Dublin was a great place for tunes. Um, we didn't know what it looked like, where it was, which part of the city it was in. We were just kind of complete, complete newbies, really. Um, and so we stayed in this Airbnb around the corner and went there for a few nights with jeans. And the, re- the rest of the experience just kind of unfolded from there. Ended up going to um, going to festivals. People were like, you have to come to this festival. You have to come to this festival. And, and bundling us up in their car. Like we had this <laughs> we had this on running, running joke with um, particularly with Deirdre and, and Jackie and, and Kalina that they could just tell us, meet us here at this time and place. And we would be there having no idea where we'd go, where we were going, yeah. <laughs> no idea where we were headed at all. And we'd just get in the car with them and be like, so where are we off to? Which part of the country are we going? Um, so, yeah, we're, totally we're very lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was good. I mean, it was it was hard to, I think, um, often feeling like you uh, – there's so many – social things and tunes to learn and there's so many there's so many things that are so new and I think um not necessarily culture shock but kind of culture lethargy you kind of you're you're very tired at the end of the day because you've absorbing so much new stuff um and that's always really um really interesting so there were times when you know it wasn't always sunshine rainbows but overall we had a really great time what were those times? I'm I'm kind of curious about the the harder well, well, harder yeah, those moments. times where you're sort of you're you're thinking I I don't know if I can figure this out. I don't yeah. Know, like... Um, actually, one one example springs to mind. So we went to um the Wheelie Clancy Festival in Milltown. Um, and you know we had the best setup. Like we a friend had dro- driven us there, and and we were staying with another friend in her um in her kind of camper van thing, and we were re- like we were really really lucky, but. Even even given this amazing generosity and support, there was one moment there I remember where Cam and I were we were trying to find a session that we that we could get into, and it wasn't that we wanted to push in on someone else's session. It was just there's no space there. Like I think I'm not the only one that has had that experience. <laughs> I think most people have had that experience at Willie Clancy, where you're like, there's no space for a damn tune. Um, and we were really keen to kind of play with some with some people we knew, and and um, but didn't want to kind of be pushy about it as well. And yeah, there was just one afternoon there. And I remember the two of us walked, we walked down to the beach and we were like, this is so exhausting. 
and so overwhelming and how are we ever going to feel fully part of this? And this was at the start of our trip and, you know, we'd met people, but we weren't, you know, best mates with anyone at this point. Um, people were being very kind to us, but it wasn't, you know, I think friendship can be quite reciprocal and, and we hadn't kind of had those moments to be able to give back and, and share with other people. And so, yeah, it felt very intimidating, particularly up at the start there. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's not always sunshine rainbows, but it was... It was good fun. Like, well, there's there's some some of the the kind of the traction for your journey comes from those challenging yeah. moments, right? That's yeah, how you and do. yeah, and it's even it's even good to reflect on it now. Um, I think you lose sight of those moments very easily. I think once you start playing and you once you're embedded in a bunch of people playing or or a certain scene or group or whatever, you kind of lose sight of the journey that you've come on, I suppose, which is which is why what you guys are doing is so great. I think it's a good process of reflection for most people, whether you're listening or, or speaking on the podcast. Or. And it's funny, I was going to I was going to make a joke when you're talking about those harder times and you're not really showing you're on your head side. And I was kind of <laughs> in the corner of my eye, I was looking at Dom, kind of going, we know that feeling, buddy. We, we've been there. We've, <laughs> we've been at that beach. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for uh, bringing yeah, that yeah, yeah. story. <laughs> True story. True story. Yeah. Were there things that surprised you about Ireland? Um, oh, definitely. Like, I mean, the Irish have a, um, have a reputation of being generous. You know, you watch an episode of Father Ted and, you know, cup of tea, <laughs> cup of tea, Father. And like, Father you know, Ted was your, Father Ted was <laughs> your you will, you will, you will. So you kind of, you know, you've got the, you know that the Irish are, are generous by nature before you go over there. But just, I, I, yeah, Cam and I were both really, really, really overwhelmed by how kind everyone was to us. And with their music, with their their food, with their car, with their tents. Like people just giving us things um, left, right and centre. And if we can, I mean, we tried to like buy people wine and pay for petrol and we try, you know, you, you try and kind of accommodate for that generosity. But the sheer quantity of generosity was just um, overwhelming. And if we can one day repay it by getting them all back over here, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It's an open invitation. To yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they know. They know. <laughs> I mean, a year's quite a long time. How did that, how did it sort of break? I mean, that's, that's yeah. a good chunk, right? So you've got a chance to really, you have that initial period of finding your feet and then you have a chance to really mm. become embedded. I mean, how did that, how did that work through? Like, talk me through that year. If you paint a picture of that year. Yeah, right. Um. So yeah, I arrived in Dublin, spent a little bit of time there. Um went off to the kind of summer festivals so um yeah willie clancy uh drum shambo um lots of little ones in between fecal some really nice festivals there um and we went to ennis for uh, the monster flower as well anyway there was just we kind of spent the first three months traveling around really um and completely coincidentally at the end of that kind of time bracket we did a house sit in uh, East Clare in this random little house with a very frustrating dog, um, <laughs> but lots of strawberries to eat, and we made elder elderflower cordial. Anyway, we had this lovely couple of weeks there where we were just cut off from everything. So the nearest shop was half hour cycle away, maybe even forty minutes or something. It was a, it was a while away, so we'd we'd get our you know backpack and we'd load it up, you know, go to the store, buy like much too much cans of Guinness. <laughs> kind of cycle back up this huge hill anyway so we spent we spent a couple of weeks at this place and it was a really nice time for reflection and we we hadn't gone to Ireland knowing where we were going to live we were very much we want to spend the first couple of months seeing how we felt and who we kind of who we clicked it with what music we clicked with 
you know, we didn't we didn't want to have a predetermined idea of where we want to live. Um, and over those two weeks, we both kind of we were just having a chat and we're like, oh, I love playing with that person. Or I really miss that person. Or remember that funny story from that person. And we uh, we collated over a period of many conversations that most of these people were from Dublin. Um, and we were like, you know what? I live in Dublin. And we had a really, really awesome time settling in. We moved in with um, somebody who we'd met. Um, his name's Alex Borwick, somebody who we'd met um, here in here in Melbourne, actually, at the last jar. I remember meeting him. This was a long time ago. Um, but we didn't really know him and ended up, they put, you know, found a room for us in their attic. You know, no door or anything, <laughs> just an attic. Um, which is, yeah, with, with their, his lovely housemate, um, Mayella, um, who's who's a fantastic flute player. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of found this bunch of people to, to live with um, who we clicked with really well. And we ended up living with the two of them for the rest of our time there. So so Alex is a um, banjo player and um, and a sound engineer, a fantastic sound engineer. And Mayla's, yeah, um, plays wooden flute, which is really great. So we kind of fell in with the right group of people to live with and people who we, yeah, just a group of friends who treated us really damn well. And how, yeah. how did you fill your days? Um, so we started working. We we're pretty poor by the end of the three months. So right. um, we had no money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we both got, um, we actually both got a job within a couple of days of looking. We were both very fortunate in that aspect. Um, Cam worked at this great cafe called 3FE in Dublin. I worked out at the Happy Pair. It's like down in um, in Wicklow, um, kind of a health food kind of cafe. Ended up being employed as a chef, which was I was not a chef, yeah. so that was interesting. Um, but lots of fun. It was just for that for me that was a bit of a commute. So I ended up switching jobs to a kind of cafe bar setup. Um, when we moved to South Dublin, I kind of switched to there, and um, yeah, kind of ended up working. But going to sessions just as much as we could. I suppose you know you you kind of you have this idea that you'll go to a session every night, and you you know you be out twenty four seven, and you'll be wrecked. And you know the reality is you. You know, you go to a session a couple of times a week because you're working and you have other things on, and your mum wants to Skype you, and you know, you ha- yeah, life's hard. yeah, life, <laughs> life's hard when you're on holiday. Yeah. No, I mean, like, but it is like normal life here, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, after a while, it kind of settled into a nice pattern of which sessions we really enjoyed and went to, and um, yeah, kind of how we filled our week. And then every weekend was pretty much festival or having people around playing tunes. Um, yeah. What do you miss? No, you're back. Oh, I miss the Guinness. Kinnis is really good over there. I miss I miss the crew. Like I miss I miss the people. Um so much. Like it's actually it makes me a bit emotional actually talking about it, just because um you kind of find a bunch of people who you just see life the same way as and um yeah, to leave them is pretty difficult. Yeah. So, um excited. Uh we're hoping to go back this year for a couple for a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, yeah. So very excited to see everyone again. And I think there's there's talk of a few no flights booked yet and and you know who you are if you're listening to this. <laughs> there's no flights booked yet, but a few people are thinking of coming over here as well. So that oh, would be wow. great. How did it, how did it feel to come back? Um really good question. Um it felt weird. Um you kind of drop back into a life and you're that you've that you've had there the whole time but you kind of forgot about not forgot about but you kind of 
you feel like nothing's changed, even though loads of things have changed. People have had babies, like, you know, Cam's brother had a baby and we had a little nephew there all of a sudden, which was a beautiful shift for us. Um, you know, it was lovely to see family, lovely to see friends. Um, musically, it was just really cool to get back and really click with um, everyone in terms of, you know, you, you you do pick up a bunch of tunes and you don't kind of see your progression over there. You don't see like what you've learned. And even though you'd spend hours sitting down learning tunes and you'd, you'd be really dedicated to it and it was kind of like a year project in that sense, you also don't really see that as progression. And then you get back and you're like, oh, been in a session and and so, there was all these tunes that were played and we kind of knew knew some of them and or most of them or you know and that's a re- that's a real shift from f- just feeling like there's a huge vast quantity of stuff out there that you'll never know so um aside from the numbers right the, just the numbers getting yeah. the tunes like um did you have a sense when you came back I mean, I'm not suggesting you come back like, oh, 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 it definitely not. I, we were but, even more nervous than anything. <laughs> but but was there a sense of um, like, can you articulate what you, what sense of understand how your understanding of music changed, if at all? I mean, um, maybe I'm just projecting here. I'm just wondering like if there was a sense yeah. when you came back and you felt like, oh, I've, I have a different. I don't know if you have a more mm. a rounder view of things or or whatever. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, I think I realized I was a hypocrite and this is a this is a kind of roundabout way of saying this but um I kind of I I before I went over I was a bit I, and I know Cameron felt the same um just quite frustrated that people would kind of spend a year over there and then to be like oh no you have to or else you won't get this and you won't get this and you won't get this um and I just found that really frustrating I'm like well you know you can play the music and and be part of it without that and and that's definitely true you you definitely you definitely can. Um, you know, coming back, I just feel like it was just like the biggest cheat sheet. Like, I feel like you just, you are exposed to so much more on so much of a constant every day, every second kind of, kind of way that you, um, you do pick up so many more, so much more experience and tunes and, and even just seeing the countryside and seeing where these tunes are being played and seeing these old pubs and, and, kind of being around that history I think is really important so yeah total hypocrite over here if you're thinking of going to Ireland I'd do it um (laughs) (laughs) total hypocrite but yeah I I um I know it is a frustrating thing and I I don't want to bang on about that but it is um it's definitely for me was very formative absolutely Lizzie, thank you so much for today. No Absolute worries. pleasure. Do you think we could go out on one last tune? Actually, before we get into that, I'll have another question for you. Um, if anyone wants to connect now, we, we're going to hopefully touch on Tried for Climate, which is another project that would need yeah. to time on its own. But I'll post links to uh, Tried for Climate. Is there anything, anything else or anywhere else people should check out? Um, yeah, so just uh, really quickly, Tried for Climate is um, just a bunch of tried musicians who've uh, gotten together who want to do something for action on climate change, um, whether that's through playing tunes or organising tree planting days or doing something um, other than that. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch or be involved with that, um, definitely uh, definitely contact Tried for Climate, um, tradforclimate at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram, just Tribe for Climate. It's pretty kind of easy to find. Um, we were lucky that no one had the name before we did. Yeah. Um, 
so I'll yeah I'll link all that in the in the show notes at the in the description for the shows and I'll put it on our social yeah cool going too. um and it's not just this is not my thing as well it's a bunch of me and some and great women so headed up by women love it so we'll we'll, we'll loop back on that properly down the road so yeah to go at what do you think you'd like to play um I might play I'll play a couple more reels um the first one's from a great album um picked up from a great album called bank of turf by donald mckagan tommy fitzharris great um fantastic recording um it's called the jolly tinker or the drunken tinker i think some people call it um the second one tie the bonnet i might play and that picked up from a a session recording or something ages ago but I, i know it's also on the newer trouble album trouble in the kitchen album um and the last one I think it's O'Donnell's O'Donnell's Sligo Maid or the Glendowen Fancy, I think, from my research before this, because I'm actually really terrible with tune names. If anyone asks you, they will tell you that I will never know the tune name. So um I I use Cam a bit too often for that. And then if Cam's not there, you know, you ask Kit or you ask Dougal or you know, you Dougal it. So Definitely. Um, Seems very authentic to not know the name of the tunes. You know? I think uh, the important part is to know the tune, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and then to know the name of the tune. I think to know the name are, of the tune is important in some aspects. But so many tunes have have multiple names as well. So it's yeah. it's uh, it's uh, this shifting um, landscape of names. Yeah. And things. And, and the same name can apply to mm. multiple tunes. Yeah. As well. So then this is a call out to any of our listeners. Just correct us, and then I'll go in and fix the show notes. Because <laughs> I, I probably don't know. Genuinely probably don't know. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, Play Ella, some tunes. Thank you so much. No worries. Right. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. <laughs> <clears throat> There's uh, so much we didn't touch on, I'm sure. But oh, no, it's great. It's going to be a part two. No, 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 no. It's we awesome. had the costume today, too. I'll be planning on... I kind of... Yeah, There's a. there was a... <laughs> It was only just from the um, playing of Aoife Kelly um, that she taught me one of her grandfather's tunes, so the the great John Kelly. Um, but I'll play I'll play some fiddle tunes. Um. <laughs> Thank you. 
it's coincidental that this is St. Patrick's Day when this episode is going out, but it, it is actually rather lovely to hear Emma's experiences of being in Ireland and um, travelling around with Cameron and just packing up into cars and being driven off to random places by other musicians. It's a really, uh, it's really kind of lovely. It was never the theme for us, I don't think, to to have the word pilgrim and blarney pilgrims to to be about a pilgrimage to Ireland. And obviously with time, it's a reoccurring story that happens and I think that's a great example of what what happens. Like, I, I hate to put that word with what Emma and what other people like Emma have done, but I know it's something I feel like I want to do. Well, the thing, the thing about a word like that, right? So, and the, the same with Blarney. I mean, it's not, it's not about um, where you've ever heard that word before. It's about the sort of the way that you connected to what you've just heard, and it, it means something different to every single person who hears it. And I, I mean, I really believe that. It's like, mm. um, and it means something different to me each time I hear it. Each, you know, so it's as quixotic as as the way that a tune is played, the way that Emma played those tunes, that mm-hmm. last set of tunes, and the way she'd play them tomorrow is different. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that's... that's so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is St. Patrick's Day as well, and there's also a whole lot of other madness happening in the world at the minute, which is crazy. So, look, we're not doing the usual call-out for Patreon and that kind of thing. All we want you to do is just look after each other, look after your neighbours, stay safe, and hopefully we'll catch you this time next week. Yeah, look after everyone in your community that's uh, that's what we're all here for so catch you next time see you next week good luck hi my name is Rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you